Evidence and Answers. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Recently, Pat went with many from the Bible Institute of Hawaii on a special Japan Martyrs Tour. Today's broadcast is an interview hosted by Pastor David Cordero as he speaks with Pat about his recent tour. We pray that you will gain valuable insight into the history of the Christian faith of those who were martyred in Japan. Now here is Pastor David with part one. Aloha and welcome to the Bible Institute radio broadcast. I'm your host, David Cordero, and I have in studio Dr. Patrick Zucaran, and we're doing some exciting things here at the Bible Institute of Hawaii. In fact, we did something a little different, on the edge. A lot of people will take trips to Mexico or the Bahamas or a tour to Israel and the Holy Land, but we decided to retrace the footsteps of the early Christians in Japan. So we took what's called Uh, Christian Japan Martyrs Tour. And I tell you what, the group had a wonderful time. There was about 30 people on board and it was spearheaded by Dr. Patrick Zucaran. And so today we're just going to share with you a little bit about uh, the exciting thing that took place just recently here, this trip that we went on, and perhaps you're going to want to join us next year. So, as you're listening to this, you may say, Oh, I can't wait until next year's trip. Well, good. Well, stay tuned and keep in touch so we can keep you posted on that trip. But, Dr. Patrick Zucran, why don't you tell us a little bit about the great things that took place on the Japan Christian Martyrs Tour of 2013? You know, David, the Japan Christian Martyrs Tour really began as we were talking here in the office. You know, when I came back, From a recent trip to Japan, I was talking about the many sites that I had seen of how thousands of the early Christians in Japan were martyred for the faith in Christ. And the tremendous testimony and the courage many of them displayed, men, women, and children as they were tortured, who would not renounce their faith in Christ and died, giving their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I was sharing it, people around the office and in classes were saying, we've never heard of this. We never heard that Japan had this kind of Christian history. We've never heard of this. And I said, wow, didn't you know? Back when in the 16th century, when Christianity arrived in Japan, nearly 15% of Japan became Christian. It spread throughout Japan. And when it was outlawed just about 40 years later, thousands gave their lives for Christ. And nobody knew that. And so that birthed the thought of doing a Christian martyrs tour. And as the, you know, we began to talk about it some more, God brought the right people along, and that's how the tour came together. And David, it was a great tour. You know, we were there in one of the most beautiful countries in the world, Japan. There in the fall, we were seeing the colors change, the beautiful red and yellow autumn colors there in the mountainsides of Japan, touring that great country. The food was just fantastic. And You know, each day opened with a devotion and worship. And then I gave a lesson on, you know, the sites we were visiting. And I'll tell you what, David, people came to Christ on this tour. People, after hearing the inspirational stories of the martyrs, several rededicated their lives to Christ. And it was a great time of fellowship, but also a very inspirational tour for all who went on. It was just a fantastic tour. I wish more could have been there with us. 
Now, Pat, I'm going to call you Pat instead of Dr. Zucaran for today's show. <laughs> now, when people think of America, they think home of the free and the brave land of America, you know, this Christian nation. And well, when it comes to Japan, a lot of times I believe uh, people uh, didn't know, as you said, that there was any history of Christianity in Japan. But could you unpack for us, tell us just, Share with us a little bit about the religions that are there in Japan, or in particular, what was the culture like prior to Christianity? You know, David, a lot of people don't know that Japan has a tremendous Christian history. In fact, it's older than the Christian history, you know, our Christian history here in the United States. A lot of people are surprised about that. But, you know, before Christianity arrived in Japan, there are really two major religions that shaped the spiritual climate of Japan, but also was a great influence to the society and the culture and development of Japan. And of course, the two religions that people are familiar with is Buddhism and the indigenous religion of Japan, Shintoism. And those two coexisted there in Japan. So Pat, could you tell us a little bit about Shintoism? Well, David, you know, Shintoism is the indigenous religion of Japan. It's considered one of the oldest religions there in Japan. Shinto means way of the gods. It originates from two Chinese words, Shen, meaning spirit, and Tao, the way. And Shintoism is really the worship of nature and the ancestors. So much like uh, tribal religions or the folk religions in many countries, that's what Shintoism is. The beautiful and diverse landscape of Japan give a natural adoration of nature and the frequent natural events like, you know, earthquakes and tsunamis give rise to the worship of nature deities. Shintoism really has no founder, no prophet, and little formal doctrine. And its beliefs really were not officially compiled until about the 6th century AD when Buddhism came to Japan and really challenged Shintoism, and then really that's when the beliefs of Shintoism were really compiled and put together in a work, one of the oldest religious works in Japan called the Kojiki. You know, and here's some of the basic beliefs of Shintoism. When it comes to God, you know, Shintoism worships a large number of gods and supernatural beings, and the worship of the ancestors is central in Shintoism. Now, central in Shintoism is the belief in the kami, or the divine consciousness that flows through all. Kami is everywhere, and the world is kami. So this is a pantheistic view of God. Now, after the formation of the earth, the gods dwelt in a, in a midst over the sea. And this is an interesting story, David. Uh, two gods, Izanagi, the male who invites, and Izanami, the female who invites, stood on a floating bridge of heaven above the waters, and Izanagi, the male god, was leisurely stirring the ocean with his spear. And when he lifted it up, the drops of his spear formed the Japanese islands. And the two descended there and mated on the island and produced other islands. And they also produced other deities. Now, one of the gods born to this pair was Summer Heat, or Kogu Tsuchi. And Izanami, the female... When this god was born, she was burned and she died. Well, Izanagi, and after her death, she descended into the underworld. Well, Izanagi, distraught over the death of his 
lover, sought her in the underworld. And he traveled to the deep, dark reaches of the underworld. And when he found her, he called her, but she would not come out. But he wanted to see her. And finally, she revealed herself. And he saw her decomposing body. And so frightened and horrified by what he saw, he fled back up to the underworld where she chased him and tried to grab him. But he escaped. And he ended up purifying himself in the ocean there. And the debris that came off of him formed the other gods. And while wiping the filth from his left eye, he created Amaterasu, the sun goddess. And this is the most highly revered of the gods of Japan. And in fact, they believe that the emperor is the descendant of the sun god. And so that's a little bit of Shintoism. Shintoism teaches really that in nature then, there are many spirits and gods. And so where there are beautiful mountains or beautiful lake or rock formation or magnificent tree perhaps the spirit of a god dwells in there and so things in nature are worshipped and salvation then really is achieved by observing many social and physical taboos like we have in hawaii you know the kapu system if you disturb the wrong thing, move the wrong stone, or you don't honor the gods before you go fishing or hunting in their woods, you could get cursed. Or if you don't honor the ancestors every day, they will not protect you from the forces of evil and may come to bring bad fortune amongst you. And the Japanese believe that many, that they are indeed one of the people of the descendants of the gods. And when it comes to sin, there really is no sin nature. Because we are descendants of the gods, man is basically good and therefore can attain their own salvation. So there really was no ethical system there in Shintoism. It was later introduced by Confucianism and Buddhism. And when it comes to what happens after death, well, Shintoism really doesn't say much. I mean, there's a general belief that you go to be a part of the ancestors, but basically doesn't say much about what happens after death. That's why when Buddhism came, Buddhism says a lot more and filled that void. And so in Japan, it's very interesting. There's a saying there, when you're born, you're born Shinto and you're dedicated at the Shinto temple. But when you die, you have a Buddhist funeral. And so that's the saying in Japan, you're born Shinto and you die in the Buddhist way. And so when you go to Japan, there are Shinto shrines all over the place, especially where you see beautiful formations in nature. And there on the Japan tour, we went to one of the most sacred Shinto shrines in all the country, the island of Miyajima. And back in Japan, many believe that the island itself was sacred and that the spirit of a god dwelt on the island. And so only the shogun and the lords and the emperor were allowed to go to the island. And it's one of the symbols of Japan. Whenever you go to a Shinto holy ground, there's a great red tori gate there. And Miyajima has the famous tori gate in the ocean. They're out in the bay. And so as you approach Miyajima, you will see the great tori gate out there. And that means you're coming to a holy ground. And there we viewed perhaps one of the most beautiful Shinto shrines in all of Japan, the floating temple of Miyajima. And so that's a little bit of Shintoism and the context in which a lot of the missionaries came, they encountered the religion of Shinto.
Now, Dr. Zucaran, I've had an opportunity to speak to a lot of different people who have a Buddhist background. And when I ask them to explain their beliefs, I get all kinds of different answers from four different paths into this bliss or heaven or or you put all of your sins on a scale and depending how good you are, you get into something of a sort of heaven. But what I've noticed is just a lot of confusion about what Buddhists believe. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure what they believe, even if I do ask them. Could you share with us a little bit about Orthodox Buddhism and what the belief system is all about? Sure, David. You know, Buddhism began in the 6th century BC, and it came from the country of present-day Nepal. Back then, it was northern India. And it was started by a man named Siddhartha Gautama, who grew up in a royal palace. And Gautama, as he observed life growing up, you know, he was sheltered in the palace. But one day on the famous chariot ride, he got to see true reality, what life was like. And the pain and suffering that he saw really bothered him. And so he sought the answer to pain and suffering. So he studied the Hindu scriptures and with Hindus and was disillusioned with Hinduism. And one day he received enlightenment and became the Buddha. And he believed he discovered the way to escape pain and suffering. And basically it was accepting the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. Now Buddhism basically, you know, very quickly what it teaches, there's in original Buddhism, there is no God. God is irrelevant in Buddhism. The focus really is on me attaining enlightenment. Now throughout life, we attain good or bad karma. And the more bad karma we attain, then we go through a cycle of rebirths. And we can go through hundreds, thousands of rebirths until we finally escape the cycle of rebirth and attain nirvana. And nirvana is not heaven as we know. It's not a state of conscious existence. It's a state of the blowing out of existence. Nothingness. That's what nirvana means. The blowing out or the blowing out of existence where you no longer are reborn back here into this existence but it's a state of nothingness no consciousness and so in buddhism the problem is this world is an illusion and we get attached to things of this world people possessions you know things like that if we remain attached to things of this world we develop bad karma and we end up coming back in this rebirth cycle over and over again and the goal in buddhism is to detach from the world to no longer be attached to anything of this world. That's why in original Buddhism, you know, when you go to Southern Asia, Southeast Asia, the Buddhist monks don't marry and they own nothing except their robe and a begging bowl and their walking stick and that's it. And that's the life of the true Buddhist, to detach from all things of this world and to dedicate their lives to enlightenment. And the goal is to no longer be reborn and enter into nirvana, a state of nothingness. And that is original Buddhism. Now, Buddhism went from India into China, and from China, Korea, and then into Japan. And what happened in during this process is that Buddhism began to combine with the folk religions of China and Korea. And so what you got is a really hybrid or a very different form of Buddhism than what Buddha originally taught. And when it got to Japan, it combined with Shintoism, forming something called Ryobu Shinto, where it was kind of a combination of Buddhism and Japan. A lot of the Shinto gods were considered 
Buddhas that had previously existed. And so you kind of had a hybrid here. So the Buddhism you see in Japan is very different from the Buddhism that Buddha originally taught. Well, Dr. Zugaran, we've talked a little bit about Shintoism and Buddhism, which are, well, the two major religions of Japan. But as a whole, on the macro level, could you explain to us what the religious climate is like today in Japan? Well, you know, Japan is largely a secular country, but they are also deeply religious people. Now, what's interesting in Japan is that they observe several religions and the religions coexist together. As I stated earlier, you know, the Japanese saying is they're born Shinto, but when they die, they die Buddhist. And in Japan, there are several religions that are there. And instead of synchronizing the religions together, like, you know, kind of like uh, chop suey, instead, imagine a serving tray with different bowls. And so the Japanese observe the different religions, but they keep them separate. They don't mix the two together. And so you have the Shinto shrines and the Shinto practices, and then you have the Buddhist temple. And so, you know, they're able to keep those separate. And what's interesting is when they have a wedding, guess what kind of wedding they have? They have a Christian wedding. That's the most popular form of marriage there is. In fact, David, you and I work here one of the churches here, we office here, and we see almost every day a Japanese wedding at this church here. And, you know, they're not Christians, but they want a Christian wedding. And so it's very interesting. So they practice different religions, but they keep them separate, but on one serving tray. So that's kind of how the, the spiritual climate is in Japan and the practice of the people today. Well, I find that fascinating. It's just the mindset that they actually generally keep their religion separated and don't mix them together. That's just fascinating to me. Well, Dr. Zukran, why don't you share with us a little bit on the arrival of Christianity to Japan? Well, Christianity first arrived in 1549 when Francis Xavier, a Jesuit priest, arrived in Japan. Now, Xavier is considered one of the greatest Catholic missionaries. He was born in Spain in 1506 and in the 1540s he established churches all throughout Asia in India in countries of Southeast Asia and Japan and after Japan he attempted to go into China but died there on the island of Macau now when Xavier arrived he arrived in southern Japan there's four main islands of Japan Hokkaido Honshu Shikoku and Kyushu so he arrived on the southernmost major island there, way down south in the city of Kagoshima there in 1549. Now, originally, what happened was a Portuguese ship that had been trading in the Pacific shipwrecked off Japan, and the crew with their cargo made it to Japan, and the Japanese were intrigued, especially by the guns and the weapons that they were carrying, and they established trade with the Portuguese, and that's what opened the door for the missionaries to come. And Xavier, we believe, was the first missionary to arrive in Japan. So he arrived way down south there in Kyushu and began his march up north, and he stopped in the southern city of Honshu, the main island, the prefecture there is the Yamaguchi Prefecture, which at that time was considered the second Edo, or the second most important city in all of Japan. 
and he attempted to meet with the daimyo of Yamaguchi or the lord of that prefecture but was not granted an audience. Well, later he attempted to travel to Kyoto there to meet with the shogun and the emperor. But after several weeks, he failed to attain an audience with them and returned back to Yamaguchi. Now, in the second attempt to meet with the lord of Yamaguchi, he had a different strategy. Instead of appearing as an impoverished priest, he appeared now as a dignified envoy of a foreign power. He came with letters from the governor of Goya. He wore a silk robe and he brought gifts and an entourage with him. And he immediately won an audience with the daimyo of Yamaguchi there. And so his meeting was a success. He was granted a license to preach in the city and to even use an abandoned temple for his headquarters. And so Xavier preached twice a day from that temple and people flocked to the temple and samurais and noblemen also came and they stayed and discussed his messages with him. And it's interesting, David, he writes in his letters that these are some of the most noble people that, you know, honor is a big thing, respect to elders. And he said, this is fertile ground. The gospel is going to flourish here in Japan. And indeed, it did. In just the two short years while he was there, he left behind a congregation of about 2,000 and the missionaries. And he requested from the Catholic Church only the very best missionaries come to this country. And he felt that Japan would be the hope of Asia, that the gospel would enter Asia through Japan as the gospel flourished throughout the country. Now, what's interesting in his letters, David, is the people struggled with four key issues. And it's interesting, that's what they still struggle with today. But one of the issues they struggled with is if God exists and he's all-powerful and loving, why is there evil? Issue we still struggle with today. Secondly, why did God create hell? You know, How could a loving God send people to hell forever? Third, why can't people escape hell? You know, They're saying, well, if we're the first ones to hear the gospel, our ancestors are there in hell, why can't they get out? And finally, why should our ancestors go to hell if they have never heard the gospel? You know, those are questions we still get asked to this day. And Xavier, you know, addressed those issues. And, you know, just on a side note, that's one of the reasons we have our apologetics conference. <laughs> we teach apologetics to address and answer questions like this. So even back 400 years ago, people were asking these kind of questions that Christians need to be equipped to answer. Now, in just two short years while he was there, he led... 2,000 people to Christ. And by 1587, nearly 40 years after he arrived, it is estimated that there were nearly 200,000 Christians in Japan. And there were hundreds of churches established throughout Japan. And many lords or daimyos were baptized as Christians. And of course, the strongest concentration of Christians were in the south, especially the city of Yamaguchi and Nagasaki. And those are some of the cities that we toured on our Christian Martyrs Tour. We got to see the place where Xavier planted the very first church in Japan. And we got to tour the city of Nagasaki, which was called back then the Vatican of Japan. That's how 
dominant the Christians were there in southern Japan, and it just spread throughout that country as the people came to Christ by the hundreds. Unfortunately, we're coming to a close for today, but tune in next week for part two on the Christian history in Japan as we retrace the footsteps of the Christian Martyrs Tour. So check us out next week. Also, a lot of exciting things taking place here at the Bible Institute of Hawaii. For more information, check us out online, www.biblehawaii.org. That's www.biblehawaii.org. May the Lord richly bless you and have a wonderful day. This concludes part one of this special interview with Pastor David Cordero and Pat Zucrin as they discuss the recent Japan Martyrs Tour that was just taken this past year. Make sure you tune in next week for the second half of this fascinating discussion. If you enjoy listening to this broadcast, would you please pray for Pat and consider supporting his outreach with a financial gift? You may donate online at evidenceandanswers.org. It is from sponsors like you that keep us on the air. We at Evidence and Answers would like to acknowledge our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investment alternatives for more than 20 years. For more information, please go to their website at hcmlp.com. Evidence and Answers is a ministry of the Pacific Apologetics Center and a subsidiary of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Join us again next week as Pat and Pastor David Cordero complete part two of the Japan Martyrs Tour discussion right here on Evidence and Answers.